welcome to This Week in Tudor History, part one, with me, Claire Ridgway, author of several Tudor history books. Thank you for your feedback last week. I think most people prefer this to be split into two, so I'll settle with that for the time being. So where am I taking you to? Well, on the 18th of January, 1543, so that's in the reign of King Henry VIII, composer, court musician, and perhaps spy Alfonso Ferrabosco was baptised at the Cathedral of San Petronio in Bologna in Italy. Why am I talking about an Italian composer and musician and something that didn't actually happen in Henry VIII's England? Well, because this man went on to work at Queen Elizabeth I's court, and he's said to have been responsible for the growth of the madrigal at the royal court. So here are some facts about this Italian composer and musician. Alfonso was the eldest son of singer and composer Domenico Maria Ferrabosco and his wife, Julia. By 1559, when he was 16 years of age, Alfonso had entered the service of Charles of Guise, Cardinal of Lorraine. A record of a payment of an annual pension for the years 1562 to 1567 show him to be at Queen Elizabeth's court in England by the end of March 1562, where he held the position of a groom or gentleman of the Queen's Privy Chamber. It's not known what he played at Elizabeth's court, whether he sang or played the lute. But he wasn't permanently at the English court. He left to work for Cardinal Farnese in Rome, but was forced to escape from his service in 1564 when the Cardinal refused to release him so that he could return to England. He was in Paris in June 1569, where he was robbed. And between October 1569 and September 1570, he was in Bologna. He may have been there acting as a spy for Elizabeth I's government. In 1571, Alfonso was back in England and he was recorded as participating in a mask at Whitehall in June 1572. But family affairs forced him to seek permission to return to Bologna in 1574. In London, in 1576, he was employed to deliver the Queen's messages to diplomats from Venice. And later that year, he was recorded as performing once again in a comedy at Whitehall. In 1577, Alfonso was out of favour with the Queen. His enemies spread rumours that he'd visited the French ambassador to hear mass at his house. Alfonso denied this, stating that he'd visited the ambassador many times on business. And he also had to deny robbing and murdering one of poet and courtier Sir Philip Sidney's servants. His loss of favour with the Queen led to Alfonso deciding to abandon England. But first, on the 2nd of May, 1578, he married Susanna Simmons at St. Botol's Church in Allgate. By Susanna, Alfonso had a son, Alfonso Ferrabosco the Younger, and a daughter. It appears that by their marriage, the couple actually already had two children, a son, Alfonso Ferrabosco the Younger, and a daughter, These two children were left in England in the care of a friend, a court flautist, when Susanna and Alfonso had to leave. 
Alfonso and Susanna had reached Paris by mid-June 1578. And then in that September, Alfonso left Susanna in Paris while he travelled on to Rome, intending for her to join him later. Unfortunately, the Pope believed him to be a spy, so he was arrested on his arrival in Italy. Fortunately, he was a free man by October 1580, following the intercession of Queen Elizabeth I, who had asked Catherine de' Medici to intercede with the Pope. He doesn't appear to have returned to England, though, and his payments from Elizabeth came to an end in March 1582. By February 1582, Alfonso was in the service of the Duke of Savoy in Turin. In 1584, Alfonso sent for his son and daughter, the ones that he'd left in England, but sadly, Elizabeth would not give permission for them to leave England. Alfonso died on the 12th of August 1588 in Bologna, leaving his wife and the two children they'd had in Italy, Carlo Emmanuel and Caterina. His surviving works include 30 instrumental works and 200 vocal pieces, mostly madrigals, but including some sacred music. Just a year before his death, he published two collections of madrigals. He didn't actually introduce the madrigal to England, but he did popularise it. His son, Alfonso Ferrabosco the Younger, was also a composer and musician. He went on to serve King James I as an extraordinary groom of the Privy Chamber and taught music to Prince Henry. He wrote music for masks, collaborating with Ben Jonson, and was a gifted viol player and composer of works for the viol. I'll give you some links to hear some of Alfonso Ferrabosco's works being performed. They really are beautiful. Moving on to the 19th of January. On the 19th of January, 1561, in the reign of Queen Elizabeth I, administrator and diplomat Sir Edward Kahn died in Rome. He was about 65 years of age. Khan, who came from Glamorgan in Wales originally, carried out diplomatic missions for King Henry VIII, was a royal commissioner during the dissolution of the monasteries, negotiated for a fourth marriage for Henry VIII after the death of Jane Seymour, was Mary I's English ambassador to Rome, and it's said that he claimed descent from the kings of Gwent. An interesting man. So let me tell you just a little bit more about Khan's work for Henry VIII regarding his fourth marriage. In October 1538, a year after Jane Seymour's death, Khan, Thomas Risley and Stephen Vaughan were sent to Brussels to negotiate with Emperor Charles V's sister, Mary of Hungary, Regent of the Netherlands, regarding two potential marriage matches that of King Henry VIII and Christina of Denmark, Duchess of Milan, and Henry VIII's eldest daughter, Mary, and Dom Luis of Portugal. Christina, who was nearly 17 at the time, was not keen on the idea of marrying the English king, allegedly saying, if I had two heads, one should be at the King of England's disposal. And the Regent Mary, her aunt, was not keen either. In January 1539, Risley advised Thomas Cromwell that the king should fix his most noble stomach in some such other place. And so the king did. 
In March 1539, Khan was sent with Nicholas Watson and Richard Byrd to Cleves to negotiate a marriage between Henry VIII and one of the Duke of Cleves's sisters, Anne of Cleves, and a marriage between Henry's daughter Mary and the Duke himself. The king's instructions to the three men included obtaining a picture of Anne. The idea that Mary married the Duke came to nothing, but Henry VIII did, of course, marry Anne of Cleves, taking her as his fourth wife on the 6th of January 1540, although the marriage lasted just six months. But why was Khan in Rome at his death on the 19th of January 1561? Well, from 1555, he'd served there as Mary I's ambassador. In 1559, following Elizabeth's accession to the throne, the Queen recalled him. But it appears that Khan wasn't keen on leaving, and the Pope helped him by making him warden of Rome's English College, a position he held until April 1560. A monument erected by his friends outside the Church of San Gregorio Magno still stands today. Moving on to the 20th of January 1558, in the final year of Queen Mary I's reign, there was the state opening of Mary's fifth parliament. As Cedric Ward points out in his article, The House of Commons and the Marian Reaction, by this time, due to Mary's marriage to Philip of Spain, England was allied with Spain in its war against France. So parliamentary business focused on financial and military items. This state opening is one of the only mentions of a public appearance by Mary following the second departure of her husband, Philip of Spain, in July 1557. She wasn't even interested in court entertainment such as masks and plays. Mary believed that she was pregnant, but she wasn't. In August 1558, the Queen contracted a fever, which she was able to fight off, but was then recorded as suffering from dropsy or edema. She died on the 17th of November 1558, while her fifth parliament was still in session. The 21st of January is the anniversary of the death of Imperial Ambassador Eustace Chapuis in 1556. Chapuis died in Louvain, the place he'd retired to in 1549, and he was laid to rest in the chapel of Louvain College, the college he had actually founded. Chapuis is one of my very favourite sources for the reign of King Henry VIII because his dispatches to the emperor and his fellow ambassadors are so very detailed. But who was Eustace Chapuis? Let me tell you a bit more about him. He was born between 1490 and 1492 and was the second son of Louis Chapuis, a notary of Annecy in the Duchy of Savoy. Chapuis studied at Turin University, a university known for its humanism and its excellent law department, and he became a doctor of civil and canon law. He was appointed an official to the Bishop of Geneva and became a canon of the cathedral in July 1517 when he was in his 20s. In 1522, he was granted the deanery of Vuillonnet, and by August 1526, he was the Duke of Bourbon's ambassador to Emperor Charles V's court in Granada in Spain. It's thought that he first visited England in September 1526. 
In the summer of 1527, following the death of his employer, the Duke of Bourbon, at the sack of Rome, Chapuis joined the imperial service, working under Nicolas de Perrineau, Seigneur de Granville. Two years later, in September 1529, he arrived in England to act as advisor to the Empress Aunt Catherine of Aragon in the negotiations regarding the annulment of her marriage to Henry VIII. He was her link to the emperor and to Rome. In May 1533, Chapuis was responsible for preparing Catherine's formal protest when Cramner summoned her to his special court. And in 1534, he acted for Catherine's daughter Mary when he drew up her protest against the act of succession. Fearing for Mary's safety in 1535, Chapuis made a plan to help the princess escape England, but this was vetoed by the emperor. And in October 1535, he supported the idea of military action to help Catherine of Aragon. In January 1536, he rushed to the dying Catherine of Aragon's bedside and only left her when he believed that she was on the mend. When she died on the 7th of January 1536, Chapuis believed she'd been poisoned. That same month, in his dispatch regarding King Henry VIII's jousting accident, Chapuis was rather cutting about the king, commenting thinks he might ask of fortune for what greater misfortune he is reserved, like the other tyrant who escaped from the fall of the house in which all the rest were smothered and soon after died. He was referring to Theramenes, leader of the 30 tyrants of Athens. So he was pretty much saying that Henry VIII was a tyrant who was going to come to a bad end. In May 1536, at the fall of Anne Boleyn, Chapuis noted that the men accused with her were condemned upon presumption and certain indications without valid proof or confession, and that there are some who murmur at the mode of procedure against her and the others. He also wrote, You never saw prince nor man who made greater show of his cuckold's horns or bore them more pleasantly. I leave you to imagine the cause. Chapuis was very sceptical. Chapuis was responsible for the reconciliation of Mary and her father, King Henry VIII, in the summer of 1536, because he persuaded her to submit to the king. Concerned about her safety following threatening visits from members of the king's council, Chapuis got Mary to submit without reading what she was signing, assuring her that the Pope and Emperor understood and would not condemn her actions. In the autumn of 1536, Chapuis' good friends Lord Darcy and Lord Hussey were involved in the Pilgrimage of Grace Rebellion against the King. In 1536 and 1537, Chapuis supported Dom Luis of Portugal as a potential bridegroom for Mary. Of course, that never happened. In 1539, he was summoned to the Netherlands, but returned to England in 1540, beginning a diplomatic duel with Charles de Marillac, the French ambassador. Chapuis hated France and the French, and even threatened to disinherit his niece if she married a Frenchman. Chapuis was involved in the negotiations which led to King Henry VIII and Emperor Charles V declaring war on France in 1543 and he accompanied Henry's men to France. 
Chapuis wanted to retire in 1544, but he had to help his successor, Van der Delft, for some time and was sent to Bourbourg near Gravelines to negotiate until July 1545, when he was finally released from service. On his retirement, Chapuis lived in Louvain, where he founded a college, as well as a grammar school at Annecy. In 1555, he decided that his English pension should go towards setting up a scholarship for English students at Louvain. Historian C.S.L. Davis writes that his last known state paper is an acute analysis of the political situation as Henry lay dying in January 1547. Chapuis had a son, Caesar, who was made legitimate in 1545, but who sadly died in 1549. Chapuis was in his 60s when he died on the 21st of January 1556. Chapuis was an interesting man, and as I said, one of my favourite sources for researching the Tudor period. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I do hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to subscribe so that you can enjoy podcasts on a daily basis. Thank you.